Welcome back to our Old Testament Bible history series. In Lesson 26, Joseph and his brothers, which you can find in Genesis 42 through 45, we have a wonderful example of sinners finding full and free forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please let me first start by telling you a little story. I grew up in a small town. Only a few hundred people lived there. One of my favorite memories is when I took my five-year-old niece on a day trip to the big city. On that day, we spent some time together at the library, played some games, enjoyed a small picnic, and traveled on public transit. Before we went away for the day, though, I was given a large list of reminders. But the one that I really remember was this one. If anything happened to my niece, or if she broke anything, I would be responsible for her. And that kind of means I was her surety. I was a surety for my niece since I became responsible for her. See if you can remember this word, surety, throughout this story. The second word I have for you is conscience. Our conscience is our built-in ability to know what is right and wrong. It is that voice inside of us that tells us we are guilty or reassures us that we are innocent. To our story now. The need for food was just as great in Canaan as it was in Egypt. And Jacob looks out over the flocks and his herds that he owns, and his fields are bare, they're empty, no grain is growing. Jacob knows there is a real danger that his family and his people would starve. He calls his sons to him. Why do you look at each other, asking what to do to find food? I have been told there is grain in Egypt. Go there, take money with you, and buy some grain so that we may live and not die. Go to Egypt, the brothers think. They were not too eager to do this. Their conscience immediately reminded them of the bad memories connected with Egypt. Remember, they had sold their brother into Egypt. And so the ten oldest brothers leave for Egypt on this life-saving journey. Jacob did not let Benjamin go on this journey as he feared something bad might happen to his dear son. The brothers arrive in Egypt and find themselves in front of Joseph. By this time, Joseph is nearly 40. He looks and dresses just like an Egyptian and is the governor of all of Egypt. Joseph immediately recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. He speaks quite sharply and sternly with them, not because he hates them, but because he wants to test them to see if they're just as selfish, cruel, and wicked as they had been 20 years ago. The ten brothers bow before Joseph. Joseph remembered his dreams as a teenager. And he accuses them of being spies. 
Can you imagine the pain Joseph experiences when his brothers say, No, we are not spies. We are true men. We are twelve brothers. Ten of us are here. The youngest stayed at home, and one brother is not. Joseph knows they are not truthful men. He has such painful memories. And so the governor comes back. No, you're spies. I won't believe you unless one of you goes back and gets your younger brother. And the brothers are put in prison for three days to test them. When they are come out of prison, they have their second conversation with the governor. And the governor says that they can return home with grain as long as one of them remain behind as a hostage. He threatens them to return with their youngest brother to prove they were telling the truth. Well, these brothers have been hiding a nasty sin for about 20 years. And every time something goes wrong, they feel that God is punishing them for their sins. When they hear that the governor is willing to keep one brother behind while the others return home, they're reminded of that awful day when they sold their brother Joseph. Right there in front of this Egyptian governor, they're talking between themselves. We're guilty about treating our brother Joseph so wickedly. That's why this is happening to us. And Reuben says, didn't I tell you not to sin against the child? He means Joseph. Joseph, meanwhile, is picking up every word because he, of course, understands Hebrew. It's too much for him. He turns away from them and he weeps. Soon, Simeon is taken for the hostage and he's bound before his brothers. Joseph wants to know what his brothers are made of, whether they have changed in all these years. And so, after he commands their sacks to be filled with grain, he quietly commands their money to be given back to them and stored in their sacks. And as the brothers leave Egypt and are on their way home again, one of the brothers opened his sack and noticed the returned money. Once again, their guilty consciences remind them of their hidden sins. What is this that God is doing to us? Every time something goes wrong, they're reminded that it is because of their sins. Yes, it's actually Joseph that has commanded this, but it's God working through these events to convince these men of their sin, step by step. Arriving home to Jacob, they show their character again. They tell him the story, but they leave out the part about the money. As they empty their sacks, they see the money tumble out of each of their sacks. The brothers are afraid. Jacob, fully aware of how evil his sons are, is also afraid. He thinks, have they also sold Simeon for money? Have they stolen the money? But soon, the famine gets worse and the grain runs out. For the second time, Jacob sends his sons to Egypt. Jacob is not willing to send Benjamin along. Knowing they cannot go to Egypt successfully, without Benjamin, Judah talks with his father. Judah, 
a man of questionable character in a previous lesson, shows that he has become far wiser. He says to his father, send Benjamin with me. I will be a surety for him. I will be responsible for him. For the second time, the brothers arrive in Egypt. The Egyptian governor commands his steward to take those brothers to his house and to prepare a feast for them. The brothers' guilty consciences again accuse them. They think that they're brought to the governor's house to be captured as slaves because of the money that was returned in their sacks on the first trip. They try explaining themselves to the steward that they're innocent. Steward tells them not to fear, but that God in his providence had it placed in their sacks. Joseph arrives and enters wearing royal linen robes. He has a shaved head, a royal chain of office, and Pharaoh's ring. What an awe-inspiring sight for these brothers. He comes not with the rough treatment that they expected, but a kind and a loving question. He says, is your father doing well? And the brothers bow before him, honoring him. And seeing all of his brothers like this reminds Joseph again of his dreams where his brothers would worship him. Joseph continues, and I see you have brought Benjamin with you. The governor blesses Benjamin. God be gracious unto thee, my son. Joseph is overcome with love and emotion, and he needs to leave the room to weep. And when he returns, he seats the brothers at a table for their meal. These brothers are not having an easy time of it because they realize that Joseph has seated them in order of their age. The brothers are looking at each other with wide eyes. How does this man know so much about us? And then each received a meal. But unto Benjamin he gave one that was five times as large, showing his favor to him. Joseph was also carefully watching to see whether the brothers would be jealous of Benjamin for being treated as the favorite. Joseph wants to know if his brothers have really changed. The next morning, the brothers are immensely relieved to be leaving Egypt with grain. Before they have gone too far, they notice some Egyptians chasing them. You see, Joseph has commanded the brothers' money to be returned again and his special silver cup to be placed in Benjamin's sack. After giving the brothers a head start, his steward chases them down, accusing them of rewarding the governor of Egypt evil for all the good that he gave them. Joseph has done this on purpose, again, to test his brothers, to see if they are really repenting and sorry for their sin. The brothers say they're innocent, and they say, go ahead and search. Well, the servant begins to search each sack, beginning at the oldest and ending at Benjamin. And when the cup was pulled out of Benjamin's sack, the men showed real grief. They rent their clothes, and they all returned to Joseph. Once again, their trip to Egypt has them appear before Joseph a second time. And this time, it's Judah, 
who shows real repentance over the brother's treatment of Joseph. Judah makes a passionate, an emotional appeal to the governor. He begins, what can I say? What can we do? How can we clear our names? God has found out our sin. Behold, we are my Lord's servants. With this, the dream has come true again. The brothers are worshiping Joseph, agreeing that he has authority over them. If the brothers only knew the truth. Judah lays out the whole story and he explains that his father cannot handle losing another son and that he, Judah, has given himself as a surety for Benjamin. What a beautiful, a noble gesture here by Judah. Rather than that something happened to Benjamin, he gives himself up. Let Benjamin go. Take me instead. Well, when Joseph sees this complete confession and Judah's willingness to offer himself as a surety, he knew the time had come. He made everybody leave the room except he and his brothers. And he gives a real short answer to that long speech of Judah. I am Joseph. And then his brothers were so troubled and concerned at his presence. But Joseph wanted to fully show them who he was and about the divine purpose behind all these events. He knew that it was God's providence and purpose. He says, don't be upset anymore that you sold me into Egypt, for God sent me ahead of you to save your lives. And so it was not you that sent me here, actually, but it was God. He has made me governor over Egypt. And there was a lot of emotional weeping and conversation as these brothers were reunited. Now with none of the jealousy, the anger, the sinfulness between them. And then again, for the second time, the brothers have to leave Egypt and they go with an enormous caravan of goods and presents for Jacob. You already know from a previous lesson that Joseph is a, a type of Christ. Let's pause and, and look at that for a second here. He provided grain twice to his brothers and both times he put their money back in their sacks. Also, salvation is a free gift. Grace cannot be purchased or earned. That reminds me of the invitation in Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. The brothers are instructed to return home collect Jacob and the family, and move back to Egypt where Joseph can care for them. The brothers have to again explain their return to Jacob. This time they say, Joseph is yet alive, and he is the governor of Egypt. Jacob could barely believe the good news, and he could barely believe his eyes when he saw the wagons of presents that Joseph had sent for him. And so, once again, we come to the part of the lesson where we look at some connections of this story 
to who God is and to what God does and what this story tells us about God's plan of salvation for his people. This story covers the two visits of Joseph's brothers to Egypt to buy food. It also traces Joseph's testing of his brothers before he shows them the truth about who he is. Let's look at three different things in this story and connect them to God's work of salvation. The first one I talked about quite a bit in the last lesson, and that is the hunger, the spiritual hunger that we each have. The brothers also had hunger in this lesson, and that's what made them to go looking for food because they missed food. The second thing we will look at is what God does. God uses our conscience to convince us that we are guilty. While not perfect, our conscience can tell us when we are guilty or reassure us when we are innocent. When King David thought about his sin, or before he was king, when he thought about his sin, the Bible says his heart smote him. And that is a guilty conscience at work. Another example of a guilty conscience at work is when the Jewish people brought a woman to Jesus and accused her of sinning. They demanded that she should be stoned. And Jesus said that the man who was without sin could throw the first stone. It says in John 8 verse 9, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one. They all knew, deep down, that they had sinned too. It is God who sends this conviction by his Holy Spirit. So these brothers of Joseph were convicted by their consciences of their sins. Nearly every event and conversation in this story was a reminder for the brothers about their sins. It resulted, finally, in a full open admission in chapter 44, verse 16, that God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. So the point here is not just a conscience that feels bad, but one that knows and agrees with their guilt. It brought them to a point where Judah confessed that he had nothing more to say and no way to clear his name. God had found out their iniquity. If you read Psalm 51, you can read how David made his own confession of guilt. You may wonder if it is, a pos if it is possible for a guilty conscience to be cleaned. And David prayed for that in Psalm 51, verse 10. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In Hebrews 9, verse 14, we can read that the blood of Christ can purge or clean our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. <clears throat> so we can learn that a conscience can be cleaned only by the death of Jesus Christ. Let's pray, pray along with David in Psalm 32, verse 5. 
I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. The removal of that guilt is God's work. Third, I would like to look a little closer at who the Lord Jesus is. In this story, we are reminded that the Lord Jesus is a surety. Before traveling the second time to Egypt, Judah tells his father he will be a surety for Benjamin. This means that Judah guaranteed Benjamin's safety. Judah becomes responsible for Benjamin. In front of Joseph, Judah said, I will take the sin of Benjamin upon me. Please let him go free. And so this noble act of Judah becoming surety for Benjamin reminds us that Christ, who came from Judah, is also the surety. Think of how willingly Jesus gave himself as a surety for his church. He spoke for them and gave himself for them so that they could be forgiven and set free. He was bound that they might go free. Isaiah in chapter 53 announces that this is what the future surety, the future savior, would do. And there it reads, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It is this Savior that guarantees all of God's promises. He is the surety of the covenant promises that Jacob was given. This now brings us to a close of our story of the brothers' two trips to Egypt, their confession of sin, and Judah's work as a surety. We have also looked at how this connects to a guilty conscience and the work of Jesus as surety. In our next lesson, we will travel through the final chapters of Genesis as Jacob comes to Joseph. <laughs>